what are you going to get four dudes in to write like a girl boss empowerment anthem? No, just like scrap that. I don't want to hear that. Just get girls to write their truth about a song. Like that's what it comes down to, doesn't it? It's just about writing truth. And I know that sounds so easy, but you've just got to look at your lyrics and be like, is this actually true? Hey, I'm Tag, the chief exec of Gay Times. I've always been interested in real conversations. And beyond my life at Gay Times, I want the same connections and understanding that you do. I've always been fascinated with queer people across our community who have blazed a trail in their own unique way. In music, activism, film, fashion and more, these inspirational LGBTQ people have smashed through the gates of their industries, refusing to take no for an answer. Believe it or not, I'm not a journalist. So get ready to uncover real stories, unfilter the conversation, and enjoy some very unscripted moments. This isn't going to be a one-way conversation, and I might find myself in the hot seat too sometimes. This is Tag Talks. In this Gay Times original series, I'll be joined by well-known faces for one-on-one authentic conversations to learn about their unique journeys, how they created space in their respective industries, and became inspirational figures. Why? Because representation matters. In a world where four out of five LGBTQ plus people, that's all of you, say you need more representation across the board in all walks of life, you may well be following in their footsteps very soon. Today, I'm joined by rising star Elle Devine. One of the brightest emerging songwriter talents in the world right now, she first introduced herself to us with the acclaimed Growing Pains EP at the end of 2017, followed by the blissfully creative Peer Pressure Mixtape. Hi, Elle Devine. Hello, how are Jack. You? How are you doing? <laughs> I'm good. How are you? I'm great. I'm all better now that I've seen you and yeah. actually here with a real person. Across a long table. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really excited to have you on. I feel like this has been like a long time in the making. I remember when I first listened to your music, although of course we're going to have had different experiences, I felt was so synonymous and like I felt so much like association with. I think the way that you like speak and write lyrics felt so kind of like relevant to me versus like a, I guess I was thinking about it. It might just be the fact that it's like not a heteronormative relationship. I, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I would have thought, I don't know, take a song for like, like you like that, for example. I would have thought, oh, Anyone can kind of relate to that song. It's not like, I don't know, it's not explicitly queer. And I didn't even realize that that is like probably one of the queerest songs I've written. Like, I didn't know that that was such like a gay thing to like be in love with your best mate and never speak about it and just like be in your head about it and not know. Meeting someone tweeted me the other day and I was like, it's actually embarrassing because that is what the song is literally about. It was like, this song like speaks so much to me because I've matched with this girl on Tinder and I still don't know if we're friends or not. And I was like, that's literally what the song's about me and this girl that I, like that I started seeing from like from a dating app. So the context was we do fancy each other, but we never ever talked about it once and just remained friends. Yeah, and- yeah, no, I love it. Let's go back a little bit. You formed a band. Yes, I did. What was it called? I mean, you make it sound as if I formed a band, like I seriously formed a band. <laughs> like in you your know, bedroom. That was the start of my music career. I was like seven years old and that was the first time I picked up a guitar. 
I was into like punk music, believe it or not. I loved like The Clash and Sex Pistols, The Ramones, like Blondie. Those were like, at that time, that's what kind of music I wanted to make, which is hilarious given the music that I make now. But yeah, so I, I, I came up with this song called Safety Pins Don't Always Clip On. That was the only song I ever wrote for the band. So then naturally <laughs> called the band Safety Pins with a Z. And yeah, the lyric, but the lyrics were actually some of the best lyrics I've ever written. The, the verse was like, so tell me, baby, do I give you pins and needles? I'm not talking shit. I'm just talking riddles. Come on. I don't oh know. God, what does I that mean? It. It's so <laughs> metaphorical. I'm like, I've never written anything that good since. Like, I don't know what it means, but. Something about your like prepubescent self that was like what? an amazing song. Safety pins don't always clip on. It's true. Sometimes safety pins come undone and. <laughs> So that was the first song and the only that song. That was the first song and the only song by Safety Pins, except I did do like a little mix on Garage Band that um, burned CDs. And back then, I thought every song you had to have like a B side. Like when you got CDs and you bought a single, you'd get a B side. I loved the B sides. No one will know what that is anymore because Spotify, you don't get B sides on Spotify. So yeah. what I did in Newcastle, there's. I, well, I think I'm sure it traveled, but do you know, like, New Monkey, you know, like, Makina music, like, all that mm-hmm, stuff, mm-hmm. and it's, like, all the really high-pitched. So what I did, I just got on GarageBand and just pitched it up 12 and just did, like, an Alvin and the Chipmunks, like, <laughs> remix of Safety Pins, and that was the beast. <laughs> so there will be, in Newcastle somewhere, there'll be these burnt CDs, like, flowing around with my seven-year-old voice. That kind of track sounds a bit like it could be, like, on TikTok and probably go really viral. 100%. I think it could be totally... The B-side could be, like, a happy hardcore hit. Yeah. It could be, like, get some of the PC music kids to read it. Has that made it onto your, like, Wikipedia discography? It actually has. Has it? <laughs> My Wikipedia is really, really embarrassing. Like, it's like, I do love Steph London, but like, it's like Eldwine's favorite artist. And I was like, where did I say? I don't know where I've said that. I think like with Wikipedia, as long as it gets like a general sense of like what's going on, it's okay. I love it. Who else was in the band? It was my childhood best friend called Niall. He was like this really shy kid so lovely but like and he was actually really cool he was secretly like the coolest guy alive yeah. but he was just really shy so like he never showed like it always happens though to those kids 100% and then yeah. I just stole his personality and I'm not shy so I just fucking stole it and I was like yeah I'm original and cool and then I just ran with that and just spoke for him on his phone which is probably like set up for like all of my male friendships I've ever had was there an acrimonious split or was it I think all like, just okay. went on separate ways. Just like fizzled I think, out. I think I just went to high school and I didn't want to get bullied probably. <laughs> I think I made an executive decision to be cool for a few years. But yeah, no, we're still mates. We actually, I actually ended up working at the surf cafe with Niall. He was in the kitchen and that's like actually one of the places that like changed my life in terms of music because that was like the first place I performed. How I met everyone in like the Newcastle music industry. It was like a really cool venue and used to do loads of gigs there. So we kind of came full circle in a way and stayed like best friends for like 17 years. It was mad. Raised in Whitley Bay, a coastal town near Newcastle-upon-Tyne, Elle Devine, shortened from Olivia Devine, became immersed in music as a teenager composing songs in her bedroom, uploading them online, and performing in every venue she could. Inspired by The Clash and The Sex Pistols, she formed her first band, The Safety Pens, at the age of seven. What are your most important musical memories of growing up in Whitley Bay? Like, how does that sound, that place? Definitely that. The Surf Cafe is, it was just like the mecca center of like every, every, all the musicians just used to come in and out of there and do like really cool gigs, like busker's nights. And then on a Sunday, you'd have like a bit of a proper show. But yeah, I, I did my first ever show there. Well, show, it was like a busker's thing. Um, open mic night when I was 17. And the only reason that actually happened was because 
the week before I'd entered a competition in school, like Central High's Got Talent or something, yeah. it was called. I'd been like uploading YouTube videos of me just playing on my guitar, making I, the song was, was so bad. I really can't. I'm going to have to tell you like off air about the song because like it's actually like really bad. Can you give us like a snippet? Like no, uh, like the title's actually really bad. The title's actually like a bit toned. Oh, really? Like slightly offensive. <laughs> So I got up and sang that song in oh front God, of the whole you. of school. What was the reaction? Well, I didn't, I got 40 fucking seconds in. I didn't even open my mouth. I played the guitar lick and then I stopped and I oh froze. No. And then I just burst into tears and oh ran Oh my off. God, you poor Everyone thing. Everyone was like filming it. It was so embarrassing. It was like in front of the whole of sixth form as well. Like everyone older than me, like all these kids were kind of worse. Like I wish someone had picked on me for it. It was like more embarrassing that everyone was so nice and patronizing to me afterwards. It was like, you did I'm... really well. I honestly, I'm getting like weird sort of like angst about this as myself. Because actually, when I was at school, I sang as well. I've actually done all my like grades. So I did like that singing route. Oh God, so you're a better singer than me. I've not, I'm so not. <laughs> but I did all my grades. So I was like that kid that was like, I always remember like I went to singing classes and I was the only boy. So there'd be like 15 girls and me. Yeah. And like everyone used to be like, oh, it'd be like, oh, girls and Monty. Because that's what I was called as a kid. <laughs> and so... I sang at school. And so because I was like a singer, but like I had like no real mates at school, was like so bullied and that sort of shit. I was like, I know what I'm going to do to make myself like, <laughs> to like impress everybody. I'm going to enter like that. I can't remember what we called it, but you both had something similar. It was like that. It was like a house talent thing. And like everyone used to do like musical things. And there was always like the sections and there was like the rock band, like the indie thing. And I was like, I'll put my forward self forward for solo singer. What did you say? So I sang and I remember it so well. I'm actually going to name check them because I don't know who they are and where they are. You know, you had used to have at school like the same year, but like totally more like dominating personality. There was like this guy who was like responsible for like the music, but like we were classmates. And I remember I had to go to him and pitch in my idea. And I remember being like so on edge. And I pitched in... I can't remember what it was, but it was Christine Aguilera's song. <laughs> They're like, it's just such like this little like dweeby white boy just being like, I can sing this like amazing Christine Aguilera song. He declined. <laughs> he was like, <laughs> he was like, you're not allowed to do that, but you can do Coldplay. Oh, give over. Yeah. So then I was like, sure, that's the, that was the vibe, right? So he was like, you can do Fix You. So I was like, okay, I can do Fix You. You know, when you just have childhood trauma and you yeah. put that in a box and I've not talked about it for like, what, 10 years and now I'm talking about it again. So I did Fix You. I did the same thing. Was completely frozen. Blacked out. Like black, like complete blackout, but sang it. Mm -hmm. Don't have any memory. Got off the stage and was like so stressed out. But it was sad because as a kid, right? Like this is why school is so savage sometimes. Like I won it. And still everyone was just like, nah, no shit. No. And I was like, that was my ticket to like, you know, like popularity. So if I win this, I'm going to get like loads of mates. Everyone's going to love me. And they all love me like for the day. But the next day I was like, bottom of the heap again. Yeah, man. Thinking about like music when you were a bit younger then. So what sort of music were you listening to at that time that inspired you? And I think you've kind of talked about a few artists already. Yeah. Were there other more guilty pleasure artists as well or pop artists? Or were you just like, no, I'm going to do this whole like... Punk thing. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because the way I think about music now is completely different to when I was growing up. In, like, like now I listen to absolutely everything. And I kind of always have. I think starting on music like that, like, made me appreciate, like, all kinds of music now. Mm. But, you know, because you, when, you're, when you're a kid, it's like, it's like a badge of identity. It's like, of course. Uh, it's like fashion or anything. Like, people see what music you listen to and they can, like, 
put you in what, that box, you know? So I think when I when I was little, it was like punk. And then when you got to high school and met my friends, it was all like R&B, hip-hop and stuff. And then I'd be listening to like pop music in the, in, in the car with my mum and like loving it. And then when I got into music production, started getting into electronic stuff, it was just like every time I got into something new, I'd discover kind of like a new genre. And that's kind of been a massive blessing because now I just have this mad collection of music and this mad taste in music. What songs was your mum playing in the car? Like what kind of songs? Well, my mum actually, I don't want to say that, but I feel bad for my mum. My mum's music taste probably isn't the one that influenced me. My mum's music taste is shit. My dad's got is really it good like, taste. My mum's like just like... Steve Brookstein, like it's that like, sort of like no, it's pop like, idols. You know what she anyway. still fucking plays? You remember... She was like, someone off the X Factor. What's that tune? It's actually a really good. No, it's a good tune. What's called Rebecca that? Ferguson. Yeah. Do you remember him? Yeah, yeah. yeah. That was a really good tune. Yeah. I mean, she did introduce me to like Fleetwood Mac and stuff when I was little. But I think my dad's probably the one that like showed me like most of my music. My dad's always been like a record collector. He's always got like loads of mad stuff and mad stories to tell. He was like a road, well, like a groupie basically with you two, like in the early days, like no in way. the 90s. Yeah. He, oh, if he was here, he'd be telling this story with like within five minutes of me and yeah, he'd be like, ah, yeah. Yeah. He went into it, like went and followed you two for like years, like when they first started and then they reached out to him 20 years later being like, oh, we've just found like your name in the book and we just wanted you to like, we no want to come way. back and like come to a show and hang out with one and stuff. And yeah. That's so proper. special. Oh my God, I'm sure he was so made up. Oh, he loves it. He loves talking about it as well. He was always like, and he was on like John Peel's radio show back in the day on the BBC and stuff talking about music and unsigned bands. You've got like proper in the family influence then. Yeah. I mean, he doesn't play at all. He's just like, he's just really interested in it. Yeah. yeah. And he just, he just loves it. So I think like taste wise, definitely listening to the way my dad talked about music and the things that he picked up on and, you know, like, like, oh, I love this bit of this song. I love when the drums do this. That kind of made me think about music differently. I want to tell you about a brand new podcast coming to Gay Times. One of the most fascinating parts of my role at the company is having access to our historic archives spanning five decades. A long-running feature by the name of Media Watch critiqued and commented on the rampant homophobia and transphobia in our press. Unfortunately, that prejudice is still rife, even if a little more underhanded. So the team at Gay Times has been working hard to bring a new audio version of Media Watch to a whole new generation. Hosted by the incredible Shamir Sani, make sure you check out the new series today. The Telegraph published an article stating, the government's proposed ban on conversion therapy would criminalize Christian parents who want to stop their children seeking transgender treatment. The first one from The Telegraph is very, I'm not going to say shocking, because if you're queer, these things often become quite numb. You're just like, okay, yeah, there's someone, someone else being outrageous. But yeah, it was, it was a difficult read. There's this constant back and forth between religion and the LGBTQ community. And so when it comes to conversion therapy specifically, it's like there's this big focus on Christian aspect of it. For me, it was, you know, growing up in Pakistan, it was that if you found out that your son was gay, that you would take them to the imam for help to save you from the curse, so to speak. In this piece, if you were to look at what they're saying, is being posed as something that is very, you know, caring when it's not in, in any facet of the imagination. Think about the first songs that you're writing when you're younger as well. 
were you producing them or you working with a producer and like did you find yourself coming into music from like a lyrics perspective first or were you just really interested in production or like how did that all happen I mean all I had was like a a guitar and that so in a way I was like writing songs by myself I hadn't got into production yet and I was just kind of doing like I guess a Taylor Swift kind of thing but not because I wanted to just because that's all I had at my fingertips and I think I mean even now like girls kind of I don't know, don't feel like their producers will have this like imposter syndrome. Like if you have a laptop, you're on Logic. I'll be like making a beat. I've literally made a beat from scratch and I'm like, nah, it's not really production though, is it? It's shit. Like, and you just tell yourself that you're not really doing it when really like all these girls that are making music in their bedroom, even if you are just on a guitar, if you're laying down the guitar tracks and your vocal, you've produced a song. I don't know. I think that's one of the, the shittest things about the industry is, you know, the percentage of female producers and how many women are producers and don't think they are. So I don't know, when when I was doing that, I guess I was kind of producing my own music, but not really. I was just kind of playing on my guitar for a while, writing stupid love songs in my bathroom and then recording them and putting them on the internet. And then I got a I got a laptop eventually. And then that's when I downloaded Logic and just started going in. And I mean, they were, they were so bad at first. Like your beats will be so bad for a long time. And then, yeah, and then things just get better. You kind of just get your own style and get into it but I don't know what I was writing about at the time I was just high school crushes that was all I I mean that's still what I write about now (laughs) um, I actually wanted to ask you about women in production did you have that visibility or lack of visibility did you have that moment where you were like this isn't something that I can do and you had that self-doubt moment or did you just like have that unlike wandering belief in yourself yeah definitely I always I think for me it was Kind of, not I can't do it it was always like oh I'm not good enough yet one day I will be I just need to keep doing this and I think what that did having that doubt in my mind meant I was going into sessions I'd have my laptop and I'm like oh I made this idea last night but I don't want to show this producer because he's going to think I'm fucking stupid once I show him this shit idea and that's that was more what it was and then now like over the past few years start bringing my laptop in and be like this is what I made you want to work on this and actually most of the time if the producers sound they'll be well up for it they'll be like yeah I want to I want to make the music that this artist wants to make I want to get in on this record I mean it's a no-brainer really like I mean that sounds stupid imagine an artist coming in showing you the idea they want to make and the producer's like the producer's like nah I can work on my beat actually makes no sense so I don't know. I think it's an encouragement thing. I think that's like the main issue. I don't think it's that girls aren't producers. I think it's just that we need to like encourage people and and actually say, yeah, you have made a song. I think that's the biggest problem is like this whole imposter syndrome. Is there a different vibe in like the studio than when you're with like female producers and women versus with guys? And like, how's that? And also actually, can you relate that to the, the industry? Because I think one thing about this podcast, which I really like, is generally there's people listening who are going to be people who might want to get into the same field as you or be inspired by you and like obviously, you know, fans and admirers. But how do you contextualize that within the industry, which of course is infamously and has been infamously male? Yeah, talk about that. It's totally different when I'm in a room full of women. It's just that it doesn't happen that often. Like as much as I'd I'd love to be in a session with like girls every day, obviously, but it just like... I can probably, sadly, I can only, like, the women that I've worked with that I love working, I can only reel off, probably on two hands, women that I work closely with, like, music producers. And, I mean, I've been involved in loads of stuff, like camps, like, there was a this She Writes Writing camp that I went to in LA, and stuff like that is amazing, and I think we need to do more of that. We just got all female writers, all female producers, all female artists, and everyone made songs, and the idea behind it, you'd come away with all these songs getting pitched out to different artists that have full 
female writing credits. Um, Incredible. Yeah. Where did that happen? Oh, probably coming up to like two years ago now. What came out of that then? Did, did you find that it was like that magical moment where yeah, you're like, actually I mean, you've got incredibly different ideas coming out? For me, it was like, it was about connections as well. It was like, get in, find me like a place where I can just meet all female producers. And, you know, and if I if I want to get like a, a guitarist in, I can call this, like this girl that I've just met, all of that stuff. And it was, yeah, it was a really nice networking thing. And it was also just writing songs from a female perspective and a female lens. I think you just tend to, it is different. I don't know. There's just something that doesn't sit right with me. It's like all the number one songs. And it's just like this total still <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Some fucking white dude writing like, and what do you know about like, what I'm going through, especially when it, it like is in, like if it's a female artist and all the writing credits are like these old dudes. I'm like, why are you mm. writing tunes for an 18 year old girl? What do you know about it? And it's just like. But also, then, what are you insinuating, and what are you baking into that that record that you don't even know about? Because I don't think people are as oh, conscious they, as they, they think. Don't, they they're are. not as conscious as they think. I think that's it. That's what it is. It's like I would hate to use words like oh. It's more of like an emotional lens when a female writes because that, that's like, you know, pushing into a stereotype. But it is true in a way. You can't put your finger on it because it is so like... Obviously, in the in the role that I've got, I spend like every bloody day talking about like perspective and whose voice is it that's speaking. It's not about like the movie or the piece of content not, or the song. Yeah. It's also who's behind, who's writing it, who's truth. in charge. Yeah. And also who's like funding it, where it's yeah, coming yeah, from. Yeah, totally. All of those like influential factors play. And I think I find it frustrating when people go, oh, I think that's pushing it too far. I find a lot actually, especially in media, all media types, I mean like all creative medias, people can get a bit antsy about it and be like, mm, I don't think that's much of a problem. But I'm like, it really is. And like we talked about it a bit at the beginning. But one thing I, I was saying, like, I love your music so much. And I, you know, I've been a fan for like ages. I think the stuff that I loved about your music was there's stuff in the way that you write and the the songs that I can go on a walk. And that's when I actually listen to your music most is like when I'm walking out on my own. I actually I often just feel like really, I, it feels a little bit wank, but just a bit like meta of like myself. Yeah, because that's it, it feels like it just is like this out of body thing of, I can look at myself in this perspective. Whereas funnily enough, when I'm listening to these tracks that have been like potentially written or produced by, like you say, like, you know, dudes that have no relation to my life. Yeah, okay, it might be like super poppy and fun and like really commercial. And I love that. And I love that kind of music. But actually, those lyrics don't really tend to mean anything to me. And if, a lot of the time, they can often like alienate me a bit. What are you going to get four dudes in to write like a girl boss empowerment anthem? No, just like scrap that. I don't want to hear that. Just get girls to write their truth about a song. Like that's what it comes down to, doesn't it? It's just about writing truth. And I know that sounds so easy, but you've just got to look at your lyrics and be like, is this actually true? Can you name anybody like out in the industry that you think is doing such a good job at that now in terms of speaking their truth? So many people. And I think truth, like, I mean, that's like quite a, you know, yeah. big, there's a big scope on that way. But I don't know. I mean, I love artists. I love Arlo Park so much. And I know that maybe that's a weird one to throw in there because it is poetry and it can be like so metaphorical, but it is it's so true here. Like, and that's what I mean. Like, it's so... It's so its own thing. It's so untouchable because it's so here. It's like, I could never write anything like that because I'm not on a path. Like, and it's, I think that's when you get, that's when artists are amazing, where it's like, I could never ever do that and come close to that. And that's, that's okay because that's why it's good. <laughs> do you think attitudes are changing in the industry and like within consumers, are people noticing the change? I hope so. I mean, I think it has to. I think people like have to listen. Like, I mean, as long as there's people like you who are committed to change and positive change, then yeah, then we'll have to listen. After her first and only single with the Safety Pins, Elle Divine posted a mashup of her own music with Beyonce's Mine to YouTube and attracted the attention of established industry figures. 
Eventually, she moved to London to pursue a career in songwriting, which quickly led to collaborations with a plethora of pop's most exciting producers. There's quite a playfulness in your like lyrics and visuals, and like you've just mentioned videos as well. How do you sort of keep that sort of energy and funness when you're also talking about sometimes the topics aren't super fun, like poppy sort of topics? And why is that important to you? You have like such an amazing look and feel about you as an artist. And I think even just your artwork and your videos, they all kind of feel just very you. I mean, that's like so nice to hear because I think, I mean, a lot of artists will probably relate. Like the main stress in my life is like, is that like are people perceiving me in the way that I want to be perceived and then it's just like you just need to get rid of that and just be I know it's so cliche but it is just about being yourself isn't it but sometimes it's so hard to be yourself when you know there's pressure like post something every day or there's pressure to do this and have all these visuals line up it's hard to kind of you lose your identity I think you're all searching for your identity and then you lose it doing that it's always just been really important to me visuals I guess I just love it like when I listen to my music when I make music I see the music as well I know kind of what I want it to be like or if there's a or if there's a lyric that jumps out but yeah I do try and make things like pretty tongue-in-cheek I think if I, I looked at like, stuff like the naked alone like artwork cover and stuff and boring people video there are like you know there's like there is some jokes in there but yeah I haven't, I haven't been serious in a while maybe I need to like ramp up the seriousness <laughs> on the next one a lot of artists like and you know, musicians like really talk about areas and some of the conversations I've had on this podcast have talked about like specific areas. Like, do you feel like you've had like an era yet? Or like, do you feel like you've had the moment? Do you like that? I guess eras are defined by bodies of work. I would say there probably wasn't one for like Naked Alone, Peachy Keen, don't say it because they were all, we'll just, we'll just call that lockdown. <laughs> but, uh, but before that, yeah, I think like the first two EPs, and I think because I did those videos with a meal and I did the short films, that did definitely feel like an era because they both kind of looked like each other and there was definitely like a tone. But I think now I'm about to start on a new era. I hope, anyway. And that's coming in May, right? Starting in May, so... What can you tell um, us? Yeah, so we've got the first one coming out in May, which is called Girls Like Sex. Oh my God, love, <laughs> love them! Yeah, it's really, it's pretty fun. Um, So that's going to come out, I think, hopefully the 29th. And then after that, I'm just two EPs basically. So when's that EP coming out after the first single? That's a question that I don't really know the answer to. I think we're just going to be reeling them off every three weeks after that. Girls Like Sex as well is like for my music because it's one of those things it kind of reminds me of this might sound like a bait reference but it gives me the same kind of thing as like I Kissed a Girl like when I first heard that that. just kind of like now obviously you know you listen to that song it's a bit like Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. at the time that was like pushing some boundaries and I think and that's why like Katy Perry's like a a bit of like a gay icon and I think that's why a lot of like artists like that who have kind of made um talking about female sexuality and just sexuality in general really liberating and fun and taking like taboo subjects and made them fun I think that's what Absolutely. gay icons have all done that's what they've got in common so I don't know I was excited to put this out around pride because that's kind of what it made me feel like it made me feel like those songs where it's like yes let's fucking talk about sex <laughs> although we just sometimes look back now and we're like and that did that really help actually it's so difficult to remember how you felt at the time but I remember listening to those songs at the time and being like yes like yes, someone's saying something yeah 100% Elle Devine and I met for the first time on a gay times shoot, and her energy was as fiery as her red hair. We bonded over our shared love of music, creativity, and frustration with our respective industries being run by straight white men, something we both passionately wanted to change. 
Tell me about your career so far. What was the most exciting moment slash I can't believe this is happening moment? I mean, honestly, the Gay Times Awards was like huge. Oh, that was one of the best so nights ever. I wish I'd celebrated more. I was like going through a phase where I was like, I just didn't t- like drink anything at all. So I kind of wish I had popped you a bottle of champagne. You and me both. I was sober that I know, whole time. I was so sober. Everyone around me was like popping bottles and stuff. I was like... I'm really, really fortunate and I'm really grateful. I've never had a problem with like motivation. Like I just want to like drive and drive. But then in those moments, sometimes I look back and I'm like, tag, just fucking enjoy it. Just enjoy it. It was actually, I'm thinking about like the next day and what I'm supposed to be doing. That's- but, and I think that's what probably COVID's made everyone realise. It did make me think, damn, I wish I'd just went out with my friends that night. I wish I'd like partied and like took that in a bit more and stuff like that. But I mean, I still had the best night. So that, that that's probably one of them. My favourite part of my career so far, like when everyone asks me this, I've always got the most random answer, but there's, I got to do this like Melody VR, like virtual reality show thing. And they took me back to Newcastle and did like a little documentary and all in VR. So so whenever you filmed anywhere, I could be the only person in the room because it's 360. And they were asking for locations and stuff. And I was like, oh, we should go to Whitley Bay Lighthouse. And it was like this weird stormy day. It was like that film with like, you know, Shutter Island. That's what it felt like. I was just in the top of this lighthouse that I've never been able to go up by myself and have it all to myself. And just like watching the fucking waves crash against it. And that was like, whoa. I can't believe, like, I'm doing this. I know that's so random because I was just in Whitley Bay Lighthouse, but it was just cool that I was allowed to go up there by myself and, like, take all in because that would never usually happen. And it's also quite weird with that technology. Interestingly enough, I've heard of the company and, like, what they're doing. What was the output like? Was it really cool? Yeah, it looked amazing. They sorted me out with, like, a headset and stuff and, yeah, did this whole documentary and then in between the documentary, it would cut to songs and we shot in this, like, whole mirrored room with the 360 thing in the middle and it, it, it was really cool it was a really cool thing to be a part of especially like being in music and being like a bit of a tech geek like it was cool to see all that you mentioned covid there and like the pandemic how's the last year impacted you and like what have you missed most about the last year that you've not been able to do i mean it's impacted me definitely with like no brainer like shows obviously i mean I, it, it was kind of rough for me because it was like the first time i'd got all the festival slots like I don't know if I'm going to say the ones I was meant to be doing, but we were doing like Park Life, Re- Leeds, Redden, um, Love Box, Glastonbury, like all of them. So I was like, and that was the first time I'd ever like was going to be doing them. Last year was last year. This year is a new year. A new artist came. So it was gutted. Like I did have like a few tears in the shower at the time when, when all that happened. But I'm a bit of a studio rat. So I think in a way it was kind of good for me to get some time with just me and my laptop and kind of go back to basics and yeah shows and I guess just momentum as well I think it's like you said before it's just like having some stuff that keeps you in that mode I find it hard to like once I'm out of the loop I find it hard to get back in and once I'm in the loop I find it hard to get out This is the point where we put all of our cards on the table and we're going to play a little game it's an easy game it's the one we like to call do ask do tell and we're going to ask each other three questions, whatever you want. You go first because you're the guest. I always associate when you like look at people in like big roles and like powerful roles, I never like, you know, you don't, you don't see yourself up there. It's always for me, it's some like old straight white man running a company. So it's just, and so it's so amazing, like someone like you running, you know, running the show. So I don't know what my question is, but you know, how does that feel? Do you how notice it- that? I absolutely notice it. I think the thing that I find difficult is when you're the exception to the rule, 
everybody wants to know what the reason was and they don't give you any benefit of the doubt. So it's never hard work. Most of the time, it isn't like, you know, that's amazing. How do you do it? And my answer is basically just like the boring answer, which is like just really working my ass off and making loads of sacrifices. And like you said, actually, about like gay times honors and like not having that champagne pot moment, the amount of times I've not gone to an event, not gone out with my friends, I've worked all weekend, I work 16 hours a day. That's why I'm here. But what they want to know is like, what do you have? someone did a favor for you. So it's always that. And I think the thing that I find difficult, and this is for me to work out, and actually, I'm really happy. So I've done this job just over two years now. And I've had to, it's taken me two years to let that go and to not have to be then like, you know, like walk away from a conversation and be like, oh, that's so frustrating. Like, why don't they see? Yeah, I've got so much to prove to them now. And I just go tag, it's not your problem. About two months ago, it's like tail end of our lockdown in the UK. And I bumped into this person who I've not seen for years and years and years. And I, I knew them like pre-gay times. Mm. Cut a long story short, they were like, congratulations, blah, blah, blah. They go, your dad must be so proud. And I was like, yeah, like, <laughs> I'm sure he is. But like, I was thinking like, it's quite a specific thing to mention. <laughs> Considering this person's never met my family, right? They were like, yeah, but you know, they must be really proud of what you've done. And I said, I'm really sorry. Like, what do you mean in particular? And he went, I think because your dad like bought gay times for you as like a project, like he must be so happy like, like how you've managed to like really revitalize it. And I was like, what? what the hell? So then I realized that to justify what I'd done, he'd come up with this, this whole, whole narrative, which was like, oh, it must have been like a pro- little pet project. And his dad's loaded and bought it. I went, what the hell did that, where did that come from? Yeah. So I think that's the thing that I find, I know I get frustrated about. I didn't even think about that when I asked the question. It's just because you're the exception, isn't it? It's like, why aren't we, well, instead of going for you, why aren't we saying, get those fucking old straight white men off the chair? Like, yeah, absolutely. And also, as you say, there's so many people that have been influential in our industry who are straight white dudes as well. And I'm like, no, there's so much like pre-existing knowledge here that you're going to be a sat on. Can you tell me your cringiest lyric or the worst lyric that you've ever written? I was actually met up for a pint with my producer friend Jordan the other night and we were talking about this Jordan Riley sorry man I put you on blast here we wrote a song a few years ago called Pussycat Purr and it was literally like can't be the one to make my pussycat purr horrible horrible song so the other one is my own song that I've actually released this is can't be you it's actually my favorite song of mine it's like my favorite song I've ever put out but it bugs me so much that no one like proofread this and told me that this was a really bad grammatical error but this is the ooh can I break the rules it can't be you ooh I miss the way you move no one knows me like you though I hate it's the truth it can't be it should be though I hate that it's true I don't know why I didn't I was in that room for six hours and why I didn't clock at any point I don't know but yeah are you going to change the lyrics live yeah, when you sing it? Yeah, 100% I'll change them live. I mean, probably not. I can't even remember my lyrics live. <laughs> so there you go. I'll like look at the fans. And... <laughs> but um, yeah, I'll try. <laughs> Who was the first queer artist that you listened to? I had two answers for you. I've just found on my phone, right, Joe McAldry's debut album. The other one, which I know could be slightly controversial because I think they might have taken back this was Jessie J. Okay, yeah, I yeah think, they did take that back. I think they might have taken it back. But 
at least when Jessie J was talking about being bi, oh, it was definitely it was a thing. And actually, the original album, I think, like lots of people at that age, I was probably 15, 14, 15. and there were so many lyrics in that first album that I was like, 100%. oh my do it like god, a dude. do I mean, it like a dude. Who's laughing now? Got me through basically like two years of school because I was like, just believe, 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 believe. You're not going to be the one that ends up like the laughing stock, even though you are now. But Joe McElgy, because my one of my best mates. Uh, came out when the X Factor final was on, when Joe McAldrew won. So it's such like an intrinsic link. And I don't think, I can't remember if Joe was out at that time, but of course we all kind of knew and like, it was kind of like that on, people didn't talk about on TV, but if you read enough about him and whatever. But when that first album came out, there were actually some like really gay songs in it, which I really loved. That must've been again, like kind of GCSE, like AS levels for Mm -hmm. me, like that kind of time. I want to know like, a dream collaboration, living or dead. So you don't have to do like a living artist. It could be someone like from the past who you like massively admire or love their music as well. Or more like, who would you go for dinner with? You know, right now, I'm Gwen Stefani. I love Gwen. I like, yeah, I probably would. Yeah. First off, Tom Head, I'm not going to change my answer because there's so many people, but that was just the first thing. I don't know. I just want to talk about the music industry with her. I think she was like around at such a cool time in the 90s and like signed there. I feel like, yeah, she just was alive at like, not, she's obviously alive still, but like she was in the at the peak of her like career at such like a cool time that I just got so many questions about that era and loads of different people and stuff. So, and producers that she'd work with and she inspires me so much and no doubt it's like so cool. So Yeah, big yeah. fan as well. Like her early albums as well were just like huge for me. I remember having them on a CD player, like a Sony, like, Boomboxy CD player in my room and just playing them and playing them. them. Yeah, incredible. Your final question. Your questions were great, by the way. Thanks. No, really good. You got exactly. We just do something silly then. Something silly. Yeah. Okay. How do you get your hair look so perfect? Honestly, my hair is like a constant stress in my life. For everyone listening, I've just had my hair dyed blonde, which I feel like is the rite of passage for every like gay male going for a slight <laughs> breakdown post-COVID. I was like... I've got really fucking orange hair right now, so <laughs> I'm doing the lesbian version of it. I love it. No, no I am... Um, yeah, yeah just a lot of practice. Yeah. And also so. like being open and willing to learn, which sounds so stupid, but hairdressers can teach you a lot. Bleaching your hair, it's a thing as well. Yeah. Did you have to like, did you have to do it a few times or was it a one-goer kind of thing? Five hours this took. Five hours. Day, and I have pretty short hair yeah it just literally it's the most traumatizing experience because it goes like really orange, orange horrible, then yellow it? and you're sitting there sweating like oh my god oh my god oh my god i'm gonna look like an idiot and then you're like okay it's finally getting yeah. to the point it's a lot of work yeah. billy i just had to wear like a wig for ages because they were doing the bleaching process and just, right. so they had to have like the green thing and i was like people don't understand that it's hair is a lot and also do you know what i think people don't understand that like actors like musicians are always wearing wigs yeah and I don't think that, like, general public ever thinks about <laughs> no, that. Yeah, 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 because they're always changing that. Yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah. Okay, my last one for you. Like, music industry. Is it really super corrupt still? Or do you think it's good? Well, yeah, it is. Oh, God, it's a hard one to answer because there's, like, stuff I could say, but I can't. Yeah, you can't. Yeah, yeah, but, like, yeah. We'll talk about, then, what you'd like to see as, like, a positive think, change. Yeah, exactly. I think I'm hopeful because I know people personally who are so committed to change and people who are so passionate about making the music industry a better place and are actually doing things. I mean, there's so many different areas that it could be corrupt. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm like songwriters as well there's a lot going on about what we're saying earlier change a word get a third like a lot of there's stuff there that's like you know and then the stuff like in terms of like sexual harassment so there's like a whole scape of like of things that need to fucking change but i think i'm confident in 
the people that are trying to make those changes. I think for me, I just want to like do more things like focus on where like I can really help. So I'd love to do like an, a, a female writing camp and stuff like that. Or just like a, not even female writing camp, like a diversity writing camp where we get like people from all different backgrounds and people who like queer people and stuff like that. I'd, and I just love to have one of those like a couple times a year and just kind of, you know, change the credits on on the charts and make it make songs written by people that I'd actually hang out with. The songs that I actually want to want to hear stories from these people who are, like have fucking interesting lives. Do you know what I mean? And that I relate to and see myself in. Yeah, I definitely think there's a lot of stuff. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you. I've that was really amazing. I've just had the best what time. A laugh. I know what a laugh, and also like just so like just chill. I feel like I this know, is not I even do. a podcast, which is so nice. Okay, thank you so much, and yeah, I'm excited to see you live and like continue supporting you. Yeah, oh, thank you so much. Tag Talks is a Gay Times original podcast. Subscribe and listen to more episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Make sure you're following at Gay Times on all major social media platforms for the latest LGBTQ plus news, culture, and entertainment. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. Finally, make sure you check out Gay Times Plus, our membership platform for everyone in our community. Remember, you can find more information at gaytimesplus.com. Tag Talks is a Gay Times original podcast hosted by me, Tag Warner. It is produced by Iwan Obinyan with production by II Studios. The production assistant is Ade Damola Bajumo. Gay Times original content is delivered by GTX, the Gay Times agency.